Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. <laughs> I'm not even going to respond to that, by the way. I'm just going to let that go. <laughs> hey, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. We're in week two of our message series um, of I Wish I Was There. Today, we're going to look at literally probably one of the top five Bible stories that there is. And, and it's a, the story of Noah and the ark. And this is a story that even people who don't read their Bible regularly are pretty familiar with. Just, you know, it's part of American culture. Most people know the, the big picture, right? Noah built an ark. The animals came two by two, got on the ark, and they were saved from a flood, okay? So most people are able to get the broad strokes. You know, they know the big stuff. But not a lot of people know the details of the story. And the details of the story are what we're going to look at today. Because let's be honest, a lot of people in our world, they think that Noah and the Ark, it's just a kid's story. And it probably didn't actually happen. But the problem is, is that if we just think about this event and other events in the Bible as, as just kids' stories, then we miss out on what God has for each one of us as adults. And, more importantly, if we just look at them as kid stories, then at some point we will begin to doubt whether God is even real or not. Look, let me just tell you this. There's going to come a time in your life when you're going to need God to be real. There is going to come a time in your life when you need God to be all-powerful and capable of anything. Everybody's going to come to that point at some point in time. Now, the good news is, is that yeah, he is real, that he is all-powerful, and he is capable of anything. But in those moments when you need that, I'm telling you, it's so much better if you already have the faith that he is real. And so that's where stories like this can really help us. And by the way, if you're searching for um, geological evidence that the global flood actually did happen... You can go online and you can find credible ge geologists who say that it absolutely did happen, and you can find credible ones that say that there's no way it could happen. You'll, you'll, you'll find both. Now look, there's a lot of kooks out there, okay? Let's just be honest about that. So make sure when you're looking at it that you're looking at a credible source, but it's there. But for me, the most compelling evidence is the fact that there are cultures not connected to Judaism that do not believe in God that have a global flood as a part of their cultural history. Dating back thousands and thousands of years. And there's multiple cultures. Multiple cultures from Assyria, Samaria, India, just to name a few, and there's literally a ton more. All of which gives credence to the flood, to the fact that the flood actually did happen. Because look, if it didn't, then otherwise, why would all these other cultures basically tell the same kind of thing? Super compelling. So for the sake of today, we're going to approach Noah and the ark as truth. First off, because God said, said so, and honestly for me, that's good enough. But secondly, because there is enough geological and enough cultural evidence to say that it is true. Now, I will agree it's not conclusive. But I do believe that God sometimes leaves things like this as inconclusive so that we'll have to choose to believe them by faith. Because God wants us to take him and believe him and trust him 
by faith. And, and especially when things are in, scientifically inconclusive, God wants us to trust him and have faith that it's really true. So that's how we're going to approach today. And here's why it's so important that we imagine ourselves in this story, because, uh, because through the story of Noah and the ark, we discover how we as Christ followers can live in a world that is increasingly hostile toward Christianity. Now, good news is this. Christianity is actually growing faster than the global population. That's good news. But what is also true is that those who are not Christ followers are becoming more and more hostile and more and more opposed to Christianity. Well, so as Christ followers, how do we handle that? How do we respond to that? And for those that are, are not Christ followers yet, but you're thinking about becoming one, well then, what does that mean for you if you choose to become a Christ follower and cross that line of faith? So that's why this story is so important. That's why it's important for us to put ourselves in this event. So let's do that. Let's go ahead and put ourselves back in that event. Imagine ourselves in 3000 BC. About the year 3000 BC, okay, there, there are, the world looks radically different than it does today. There's no airplanes, there's no cars, no traffic jams, no endless construction, no internet, no phones, no Chick-fil-A. I mean, I don't know why anybody would want to do this, but anyway, let's imagine ourselves there. And so, and so that's what we don't have. But here's what, what you do see. Dusty roads, rolling hills of grass with trees intermingled throughout. So that's the scene. That's the picture. And also, the world at that time was an incredibly evil place. The Bible tells us that it was just, it was unbelievably evil. That everyone's out for themselves. The most heinous things that you can possibly think of were commonplace. Human trafficking would have been widespread. Children bought and sold every night. There's nothing sacred about marriage. There's, there's no honest people. People do what they want, whenever they want, to whom they want, how they want. They live only for themselves. There's no moral code. There's no cultural standard of right and wrong. There's no laws. There's no rules. There's no helping people who are defenseless. You know, people think that living in a world without rules is freedom. It's not. It's living in fear. And that's what it would have been like in this day. Look, what, how, look how God describes it in Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So God said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God, or of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, 
I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. All right? So, if I was alive in the days of Noah, what would I have seen? Well, first, number one is this, write this down. The first thing you'd have seen, you'd have seen a really big boat, right? I mean, it sticks out like a sore thumb, so obviously like, that's the first thing that you're going to see. You're going to see a really big boat. And I'm telling you, this thing was big. Look what the Bible says in verse 15 of Genesis 6. It says, God's telling him, this is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long. 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door on the side of the ark and make a lower, middle, and upper decks. So this thing was huge. To get a, an idea of how big the ark is, the tallest point in this room is up here in this corner. It's just over 30 feet. So the ark would have been 12 to 13 feet taller than this room. This room, front to back, is just under 75 feet. So the ark would have been wider than this room. To think how long it would be, the ark was 450 feet long. If you tried to put the ark in Reliant Arena where the Texans play, it would not fit. It would be 50 yards longer than that. If you were to take the front of the ark and you were to put it just outside our front door, right on 1093, it would stretch all the way to Cain's. This thing was huge. It was huge. So that's the, that's the first thing you'd see. Here's the second thing you'd see if you were there. I would see, number two, a parade that rivals Disney. That's right. I'd see a parade that rivals Disney. Chapter 6, verse 17, the Bible says this. God says, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is being eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. All right, so look, obviously, Noah did not go to the ends of the earth to try to gather up all the animals. I mean, that would have been literally impossible. And God says that all the animals came to Noah. They all came to him. And so, I mean, if, if you can imagine the scene, remember, if you were there, you've only lived in Israel your whole life. There, there's no global travel, okay? There's no airplanes, and there are no zoos. You've never seen anything exotic. In fact, the only animals you've ever really seen are camels, oxen, a few horses, and some sheep. That's it. That's, that's about the extent of your knowledge of the animal kingdom. So can you imagine one day, all of a sudden, like two zebras come walking down the road? You're like, holy cow, who jacked up those horses? Right? I mean, and then think about like when the moose come by. The elephants, the koala bears, the kangaroos. I mean, you're like, hey, kids, 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 come on, get out, get out, get out of here. You're like, you've got to see this. Like, it would have been a parade that would rival anything that Disney could put on. That's the second thing you'd see. 
Here's the third. Third thing you'd see is this. You'd see a mocking crowd. You'd see a mocking crowd. Think about it. Okay, if the whole world was evil, like way more evil than it is today, how do you think people would have treated Noah as soon as Noah would have said, hey, God told me to build an ark to escape a coming global flood? They'd have been like, Noah, you are crazy. I mean, they would have laughed at him. They would have like, hey, there goes crazy Noah. The guy is a religious kook. I mean, and they would have made jokes about Noah, like, hey, Noah, it's getting too dark to build. Maybe you need a floodlight. Ah! Right, the rest of you will get it later. It's fine. They're like, hey, Noah, let's play cards. Oh, but you're sitting on the deck again. Okay, yeah. Look, I'm not that funny. That's all I got, okay? But look, here's the deal. They would have mocked and laughed at Noah. And look, at some point, Mrs. Noah would have taken the kids and started homeschooling. Because like junior high would have been horrible, right? And look, because Noah was probably building the ark in his front yard, this is where HOAs come from, okay? <laughs> this, is, this is where it comes from, right here. All right, but seriously, here's what I think you would have also seen. I think you would have also seen that... Uh, that Noah and his family, they would have endured some pretty hard times, being ridiculed, literally by every. I think what few friends they had would have abandoned them long ago. You would have seen mom and dad console their kids with tears at night for the amount of ridicule that they were going through because of how their family chose to live. That's what you would have seen. And if you had seen all these things, you and I, we would have arrived at at least three conclusions, and here they are. Here's the first conclusion we'd arrive at. Number one is this. God always has a plan. God always has a plan. Look, think about it. God gave Noah some very specific instructions of exactly how tall and how wide and how long the ark was supposed to be built. He even told him what kind of wood to make it out of. He told him to put a door on this side. He told him how to make it um, watertight. He did all of those things. And furthermore, God is the one that brought all the animals to the ark. Think about it. God had to plan in advance when to start sending animals. How far in advance did God have to start sending the penguins in order for them to waddle all the way to the Middle East? Like a long time. So God had a plan, and it was planned way out in advance, and he organized it all. You know what that means for you? It means God's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for your life. And he's got all the details worked out. You don't have to stress about the details of how it's going to happen. God already has it planned out. All he is asking you to do is to trust him. All he's asking you to do is to follow his instructions. That whatever he tells you to do, you do. That you just trust him. And I know, I mean, I'm sure there's some of you that are thinking, hey, hold on, Pastor Mike. I've trusted God in the, in the past. And things did not work out for me. What about that? I'd say this, 
I would say, at that point in your life, you were trusting God to work according to your plan. And when God didn't do what you wanted, you became disappointed and disillusioned with him. But that's not how it works. God has a plan for your life. And he's got all the details sorted out. And I can tell you this, the Bible says that it's a good plan. That God's plan for you is good. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to go through hard times. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be details you're not going to understand. Because God doesn't always give us the details of how he's going to do stuff. In fact, most of the time, he doesn't. But we just have to trust him for the next step. And when that next step doesn't go according to how we plan, then we still trust that God has a plan and his plan is still good. Even when the things in our life feel bad, we trust him. That's what he's asking for. And I think that if we were there in that day, I think that's what we would conclude. That we may not understand it all, but we trust him anyway because we know he's got a plan. Here's the second conclusion we come to. Number two is this is that God tolerates sin, but only for so long. God tolerates sin, but only for so long. I mean, think about it. Look, in the days of Noah, the world didn't go sour in a year, right? It didn't become evil in a year. It had been going downhill for decades and decades and decades and decades and decades. And all that time, God was dealing with the world with his grace and with his mercy and his love and his patience. But there finally came a time when God said, Enough. Enough. I will tolerate sin, but only for so long. I'm telling you, that, that is incredibly sobering for us, isn't it? Because we all think about God as a loving, tolerant, patient, graceful, merciful God, and he is. But there comes a time when God says, enough. He says enough. There comes a time that God will deal with the sin that you're struggling with. Look, and it might be an addiction. It could be an addiction to pornography, an addiction to alcohol. It could be a gambling problem. It could be a dishonesty problem. It could be a, um, an anger problem. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, I'm telling you, there's going to come, come a day when God says, it's, God says, it's time to address this. And you're not going to go any farther in life, and you're not going to go any farther with me until we address this. And if the thought of whatever it is that you're doing, or what it is that you've done, the thought, if the thought of that coming out and going public scares you to death, then my advice to you is this. Let God deal with it now, while he's dealing with you in his grace. Look, let God free you. He wants you to be free from whatever that sin is that you struggle with. He wants you to be free. But in order for you to be free, in order for you to say no to that sin, you have to say yes to God. In order to be free, you've got to start taking sin seriously by taking God seriously. That's the only path to freedom. There is no other way. Because you've probably tried every other way on your own. And you know I'm right. So, look... Deal with it now while God's dealing with you with his grace and his mercy and his love. Don't wait until God says enough. Don't wait that long. 
There's a passage of scripture that I memorized years ago. It's super powerful. Uh, look at it there in your notes. It's Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. In fact, I mean, I, I know it. It says this. It says, the man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. It's huge. All right, here's the third conclusion. Number three is this. If you and I were there that day when Noah was building the ark, or that time when he was building the ark, here's the final thing. Number three is this. Following God is a long-term commitment, not a short-term test drive. That following God is a long-term commitment, not a short-term test drive. And I want you to remember, God does not tell Noah to build the ark until we get to chapter 6, okay? So let's get a little context. Let's look at the end, the closing verse of chapter 5. The closing verse of chapter 5 is uh, chapter 5, verse 32, that says this. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, okay? Now, sometime after his sons are born, God tells Noah to build the ark. And then, when we get to chapter 7, verse 6, here's what it says. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Okay, So sometime after Noah turns 500, but before he turns 600, he builds the ark. Now think about it. How long would it have taken Noah to build the ark? I'm telling you, it would have taken a long time because there's no power tools. Okay, There's nothing to plug anything into. The only tools Noah would have had, he would have had a saw and a hammer, and that would have been the extent of it. And so they would have had to go and cut down the trees. They would have had to make all the planks of wood. They would have had to make their own nails because they can't go to Home Depot and get more, right? They're doing all this by hand. So this isn't a project that took a year. It didn't just take years. This thing took decades to do. Decades, maybe 70, 80, 90 years. But here's what we know. By year 100, it was done. By year 100, for sure, it was built. And all that time, people are mocking Noah, and they're making fun of him, and they're making jokes about him. They're ridiculing him, him and his family. They're ostracized. They're doing all this kind of thing. And if you were there, you would have heard Noah and his sons say, God I still choose to follow you. God, today, today I choose to follow you. And tomorrow, I'll choose to follow you again. And you would have heard him say that every day for a hundred years. For a hundred years. So for you, look, following God and his son, Jesus Christ, like, that's not a commitment you make on a weekend. Take it for a test drive, try it out for a month or two, and then when times get hard, that you abandon it and try something else. That's, that's not how it works. That's not what it is. A commitment to follow God is a long-term commitment. It's one that lasts for the rest of your life. I think about, I think about Billy Graham. As most of you know, Billy Graham passed away earlier this year. Look, and God accomplished some incredible things through the life of Billy Graham. But I think probably the most incredible thing about Billy Graham is this, is that he followed God when he was from 15 years old all the way until he was 99 years old. 
And he never wavered in his commitment to follow God. I mean, well, look, were there some hard seasons in there? I'm sure that there were. But he followed God for his entire lifetime. That's incredible. Yeah, because look, I mean, I see people, they come, and they, they come to church, and oh, they're, I mean, they're excited about their faith, and they're excited about God, and they're excited about Jesus. And then six months later, they're nowhere to be found. A year later, they haven't darkened the door in the church. They haven't cracked the pages of their Bible in who knows how long. That's not the kind of commitment God is asking for. That's not, that's not what God wants from any of us. And that's not the commitment that Noah and them made. If we were there alive that day, we would have been blown away by Noah and his sons. Because through all the ridicule, through all the hardship, man, they just kept building. They just kept following. They kept trusting. So would you do the same? Would you make that same kind of commitment? If, if you're already a Christ follower, but you've wavered in your faith, would you make a commitment to say, okay, God, I'm going to commit to follow you, not just today, not just tomorrow, but every day. So for you, God, I'm going to keep on coming. I'm going to keep on following. I'm going to keep on trusting. Look, and if you're not a Christ follower yet, but you've been thinking about becoming one, go into it with your eyes wide open, knowing that this is a commitment you're going to make that starts today, that lasts for the rest of your life. And look, and God will help you. So if you're ready to make that kind of a commitment, if you're ready to follow Jesus with your life, you're ready to give him your life, then there's a prayer you can pray. It's in your worship guide. I want you to take a minute. I want you to pray it right now. Because you're praying that commitment and saying, well, God, change my life for the rest of my life. I'm in it for the long haul. Now, just in case, you know, through all this, maybe you're still struggling with whether Noah and the ark is even real or not. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 8 that the ark came to rest in a mountain range known as Ararat. It's in modern-day Turkey. And interestingly enough, if you were to go there today, on Mount Ararat, there is a depression that looks like it might have been the resting place of the ark. Now look, the ark isn't there. It was made of wood. The wood is long gone. But I've got a picture of it. Let's, let's put this picture up. And in case, it's right there in the middle. In case you can't see it, let's just go ahead and put a circle around it so that maybe you could see what that looks like. Got that? Okay, let's go ahead and take the circle away. Interestingly enough, this place in the land, it's the right length. It's the right width. And it's in the right place. Now, do I know for sure that that's where Noah's Ark came to rest? I don't know. I wasn't there. But it might be. But this is just a picture. And if you were there, I wonder what you would have seen. I want everybody to bow your head, close your eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you. Thank you for how real you are. And I pray for every person listening today that needs you today to be that real for them. They need you to be all-powerful. They need you to be capable of anything. Father, I ask that you would meet them right where they are and that you would show yourself strong to them in their lives. And for all of us, Father, I ask that you would help us to follow you for all of our days, with all of our heart, 
knowing that you've got a good plan for our lives. Even when we don't understand, even when things don't work out like we want, Father, we tell you today, we trust you. So thank you for who you are and help us to follow you with all of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.